0: It's 11 minutes before the hour, and you are listening to Raven Radio KCAW. Sitka, today is Monday, April eighteenth, 2022. I'm Catherine Rose with Raven News. Last month, the Sitka Assembly killed a moratorium that would have capped new short-term rental permits for one year. And while most Assembly members didn't like the idea of the moratorium, they did want to do something— Now they're holding a town hall to hear Sitka's ideas for what to do, if anything, about a growth in short-term rentals. Short-term rentals are any property rented for 14 days or fewer, and the city requires permits for STRs in residential zones. Sitka saw a steady increase in those permit applications from 2017 to 2019. They dipped dramatically during the height of the COVID pandemic, but Planning Commission member Wendy Alderson says they're on the rise again. Across the West, really. Um, there's a been a big increase in
1: in the visitor industry and independent travelers, and into destination areas. And Sitka is kind of a destination area. And we struggle with
0: housing already. She's particularly concerned about investment firms or corporations buying up standalone homes to use as vacation rentals, a trend happening across the country. And she says right now there isn't much criteria for conditional use permits that would prevent that. Um, this is very different, in my opinion, than somebody
1: who wants to rent their mother-in-law apartment out w- when their family's not here to make a few bucks to help pay their mortgage. I think by taking a look at things before we start losing too many of our single-family standalone homes to investment firms, um, that we'll have a better idea. Idea of, of what we want the
0: short-term rental market here in Sitka to look like. On March 22nd, the Sitka Assembly rejected a one-year moratorium on new short-term rental permits. Sponsors Kevin Knox and Kevin Mosher hoped that if they temporarily stopped granting new permits, it would give the city time to create new policy. Here's Knox.
2: And the discussion at the table, while it wasn't in favor of the moratorium, was greatly in favor of looking for solutions. Even those that came to uh, oppose the moratorium, there was a recognition that we have a housing crisis and that uh, the the rapid increase in short-term rentals may be contributing to that.
0: Alderson and Knox hope to get a big turnout at the town hall, which will be pretty informal. No podium, no public comment period. They just want to make a space for Sitkins to share their ideas with the hope of bringing some of those ideas to the assembly table.
2: The main thing that we're looking for from this, this town hall is to put ideas down and put them on the table and start discussing what does this community want to see at this point? You know, how far? drastic do we feel like this problem is? And is, is this a piece of the solution that we really want to like tackle?
1: We'll have uh, whiteboards. We'll have um, sticky notes. We'll have people writing down their ideas, compiling their ideas. I don't really think we want to even throw any ideas
0: out there for people. I think we want to hear what the people have to say. Alderson says she knows that changing Sitka's code for STRs won't solve Sitka's affordable housing problem. But it is a piece of the puzzle, I believe.
1: Sitkins have always been pretty proactive, I think, in in keeping track of our community and telling people what we want and how,
0: how we want it. The short-term rental town hall is tonight at 7 p.m. at Harrigan Centennial Hall. The cruise industry says Alaska can expect about 1.5 million ship passengers to visit this season, which opens in under two weeks. Meanwhile, questions remain about the vaccination rates of visitors and the extra hurdles required to enter Canada. On Wednesday, KHNS's Mike Swayze talked with Cruise Line's representative Brian Salerno for an industry perspective.
3: Brian, thanks so much for being here. I'm just going to ask you this straight out. How many people are coming to Skagway this summer?
2: You know, I I don't have it broken down, but overall for Alaska, we're estimating about you know 1.5 million passengers. Uh, that's on 600 voyages by 40 individual ships. So you know, the season will probably start out a little bit slower and will gradually build. But that's the guesstimate right now.
3: And how does that yeah. compare to let's say 2018 to the 2019?
2: Well, I think it's be roughly comparable you know, to, you know, pre-pandemic
3: levels. I've had a lot of questions, Brian, about the ArriveCan app and, you know, specifically in Skagway, a lot of tours will emanate from Skagway and go up into Canada. And so one of the questions I'm getting from tour companies is, will everyone that gets on a cruise ship be required to fill out an ArriveCan app before they depart on their cruise ship?
2: That's my understanding, yes. If the ship is going to call in Canada, and virtually all of them will, other than you know, potentially the rare U.S. flag vessel that has no need to stop in Canada, there would be a need to complete the Arrive Can app as a you know, condition of entry into Canada. And the cruise lines are prepared to, you know, to check that upon embarkation so that it doesn't become an issue you know, during the course of the trip.
3: Okay, and then I'm told by Canadian officials that once they have filled out that Arrive Can app, it's good for the duration of their cruise so they don't have to update it throughout the cruise. And then they can utilize that to, let's say, leave from Skagway and go up to the Yukon. Is that similar with the information that you've gotten?
2: That's my understanding as well. Okay.
3: Uh, another question a lot of people have asked is, will everybody on board the cruise ships be vaccinated?
2: Sure. Well, most people will be. You know, there may be a few exceptions. Obviously, children, you know, under five aren't required to be. Um, there's some question about whether you know children under 12 would be, but overall, the cruises that are operating to Alaska and certainly into Canada are going to have extremely high vaccination rates. Most will operate at 95% crew and passengers. Even those where it's just below the 95% threshold, which would characterize them as highly vaccinated, still above 90% in virtually every case. Plus everybody getting on board the cruise ship needs to be tested and there's very limited time windows for obtaining that test. So everybody that you're on a ship with is vaccinated and recently tested and then course there's other you know layers of protection that are in place you know, you know sanitation procedures and air filtration and plus the ability to respond if somebody does in fact come down you know with symptoms so it's a it's a highly protected environment
3: Brian throughout the years we've had a lot of international travelers come to skagway will the cruise season this year look similar will there be an international flare or will it be mostly folks from you know the western hemisphere
2: Um, Good question. Uh, You know, we're seeing, you know, more interest in international travel now that many of the travel restrictions have been lowered. I think we're we're still going to see a lot of international visitors to Alaska because it's on a lot of people's bucket lists. But predominantly, I think you're, you know, probably Western Hemisphere, at least to start.
3: Okay. Brian, thanks so much for the call. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. Take care, Mike.
0: SEARCH has opened a new opioid treatment clinic in Juneau. It's the first of its kind in southeast Alaska. As KTOO's Lindsay Berlini reports, the number of people already using the program is highlighting how pervasive the opioid epidemic is in southeast.
4: So they receive their medication, they sign that they've received it, and then they'll go back out to the lobby. and. If it Claudette counts.
5: Thor takes me on a tour through their new opioid treatment facility. She manages the health care for the homeless clinic for SEARCH. It's been about a month and a half since it's opened, and it's working for people. Thor says it's getting people in the program to bring others in. I mean, we have a patient here that's brought in six people
4: that he previously associated with or used with, and um, it works, and when nothing else has worked for, for him, and I mean, it's word of mouth.
5: It's a federally approved program to treat opioid use disorders using a medication called methadone. It's specifically for people who can't get stabilized on the other medications. Laura says they have about 40 people in the program right now. That's a lot more than she was anticipating. Dr. Corey Cox has been working with opioid use disorder patients at SEARCH for a while, and he thought he'd seen most people in Juno with a substance use disorder.
4: And the people that have came here, some haven't been touched by the medical system in a decade. They've been so pushed off to the corners of medicine.
5: People seeking treatment for the first time can call the clinic or walk in. But to be eligible, they need to be diagnosed with moderate to severe opioid use disorder during an initial screening. Cox says they take a disease model approach to opioid use disorder. That people with this disorder have a fundamentally different brain than people who haven't used opioids.
4: Like I could maybe take an opiate today and never use it again because my brain isn't changed in that way. And we know that people who've experienced traumas, whether they be personal traumas, historical traumas, they're at an even higher risk of that kind of brain remodeling that happens.
5: People with this disorder need to have their opioid receptors activated to function at a basic level, and that's what the medications do. But some of these less potent medications, like buprenorphine, don't work for everybody. Cox says when people are taking more drugs or stronger drugs, even the maximum dose of buprenorphine isn't working. People can still have withdrawal symptoms and be really sick. That's why this new program uses methadone, but it has to be prescribed in a controlled setting with a lot of monitoring almost every day of the week. Cox says over 90% of people that come in say they were prescribed pain medications when they were young, whether it was a broken leg or a wisdom teeth surgery.
4: It was this whole push of opiates and pain on, on our society, and we're just now, you know, reaping all of the ill effects from that. And it's on all of us to fix.
5: Cox says that could have been any of us. And that gives him a lot of compassion for people suffering from this disorder. In Juno, I'm Lindsay Brolini.
0: I'm Catherine Rose, and this has been Raven News.